0: Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this passage of Scripture. It tells us how to live and honor you in light of your redeeming work in us, that you have set us apart from this world by your grace through faith in Christ alone. And so now, Lord, we pray that you will help us to understand your word and then apply it to our lives that we may live in a way that honors you. So help us now, Lord, to understand your word, to hear it, to embrace it, and to put off the old man, be renewed in our spirits, and put on the new man for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. (coughs) So today we move on to our, our, our third part of this series on walking in holiness hoping to finish this up today i did in the first service so lord willing i'll make it today for you otherwise we'd be really have fun we'd have two different places that i have to start and finish next week what does a set apart life look like what does putting off the old man and being renewed in the spirit of our minds and putting on the new self look like in our day And how we should live this out. Today, we're going to see that often living the set apart life of a Christ follower does not mean being more recognized by the world. The Christ follower is like their master, Jesus, humble and gentle of heart. We are not about being noticed as much as we are about walking in holiness before our Lord. Our position in Christ makes pursuing the flesh unsatisfying. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for our future hope of being with our Savior forever. We talk often, when we talk about uh, walking in holiness, that we should be distinct or different from the world, right? That's what we've talked about what holiness is, being set apart, being different often we can fall into the trap of thinking we need to be noticed for our set-apartness. Listen closely what I mean by that. We need to be noticed by being holy or noticed by being set-apart. That kind of makes it about who? Us. But if we're really about walking in holiness, it's not about us at all. So we're not about being noticed as holy. We are just about being set-apart. Being distinct. This passage is going to show us that being holy doesn't necessarily mean you will be in the limelight. Matter of fact, being holy might mean that you won't be noticed by anybody or heard by anybody. Is that a good thing? Sure. Because we all live for the audience of one. Jesus Christ, our Lord. We live to be holy and set apart from this world so he can be exalted and so that the spirit that dwells within us isn't grieved, as we will see in our passage. To review, we are walking in holiness or in unity first in verses 1 to 16. We do this, we live in unity together by being humble and seeking our Lord and trusting in him. And then we walk in holiness starting in verse 17 to 32. Remember last week we examined the summary of the believer's new relationship with Christ in verses 17 to 24. And we saw that there was an exhortation to be taught in Christ to put off the old man, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and then to put on the new man. As we understand the gospel, as we understand who Christ is and what Christ has done, We were taught these truths about who Christ is in order for us to put off the old man, to be renewed in our mind and transformed in our thinking, and to put on the new man. Why were we taught Christ? So that we would repent, turn from our sin, and trust in Christ and obey him. Why were we taught Christ? So that we could walk in holiness. That's why we were taught Christ. That's why we know him. If Christ, if God was all about, it was only about justification, and if it was only about getting us to glory, and there was no sanctification portion, then he he would be able to save us right at the last minute. Everybody would be saved at the last minute, right before they died. They'd be justified, and then go to heaven. But he saves us earlier in our walks. Why? So we can exalt him. And put off the old man, be renewed in our minds, and put on the new man. This repentant life of the believer starts at conversion. The putting off the old man, being renewed in the mind, and putting on the new man. Happens when we're converted, when we turn from our sin, and we trust in Christ, and we then obey him. Right? But this continues on, and we're constantly putting off our old flesh, our old man. And we're being renewed in our minds, changing and being transformed in our thought process. And our hearts are being transformed, and we're putting on the new man. We briefly started to unfold what this new life in Christ of putting off the old man, being renewed, and putting on the new man looks like. That's what we're going to focus in on today in this verses 25 to the end. It's basically Christianity 101. How do we look in light of what we know and who we know? In light of our new relationship with God, how do we look? What do we, how do we live? It's a beautiful little passage. Again, I've, I've talked about this before. I love how Scripture, when it starts telling me what to do, gets really simple. It gets very clear. I want to know what to do. What do you want me to do, Lord? Tell me clearly. And he does. That's how his word is. The deeper things of eschatology and even some of our uh, ecclesiology, the study of the church and all those things, those sometimes take lots of years to put together and think through and understand. But when it gets to practical application, how do you live? I mean, even my children can get real easy. My youngest. I could read this section, and I'm pretty sure even Samuel could get most of what it's talking about. Why? Why? Because God wants us to have the joy of obedience. He wants us to have the joy of the new life. He wants us to know how to enjoy him and to walk with him. And that's what we see in our passage today. Our passage breaks down our new life in Christ applied in holy living into six truths or six ways that we must live. We must promote truth. We must pursue reconciliation. We must practice sacrifice. We must... Proclaim edification, we must produce delight, and we must perform kindness. These are what we must do. You'll see it as we go down along it. I looked at it and focused it in on the positives. You'll see why I focus on the put-ons more than I did the put-offs as we go along. Okay? There's a reason behind it, and you'll see it as we go along. Our new holy life in Christ applied. Let's start with this first, put on, be renewed, and put off. Or put off, rather, be renewed and put on. Put off, be renewed, put on. Here's the first one. Promote truth. Promote truth. That's found in verse 25. Look at it. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, putting off falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. You could summarize this one as put off lying and put on speaking the truth. So our old nature was to lie. This was who we were. You understand that, right? You're born a liar. This is who we are. Every single human being that's ever been born except one was a liar by nature. We were liars deception was our pr- was our practice why did we de- deceive why is it in our old man to deceive the answer is various reasons but ultimately it's about self promotion the reason why we lie is to promote ourselves deception often is for protection that's what we think we think i can't tell the truth because if i tell the truth So I might get something that I shouldn't get. Or I can't tell the truth. I'm going to do this deceptive so that I can get something that I want for me. So deception was for the promotion of ourselves, self-promotion. At the root of lying is often a desire to look out for what's best for me, right? So we lie. But when we learned Christ, we learned another way, correct? We learn that Christ is truth. And we learn that now we are to put off that old man. We're not going to be deceiving ourselves. Christ Jesus told the truth his whole entire life. I was thinking on this and meditating on this. Think about this, beloved. Jesus came into the world. He lived a perfect life. And you know as well as I do, all of our children, when we look at our children, our children are prone to do what? Lie. They do it. We have this problem. That's why when I bought donuts last night, I made it very clear to every single child. I looked them in the eye, and I said, you cannot get a donut unless you ask me for a donut. There's only 12 donuts, and we have seven people. You must ask before you get a donut. Then last night, as I was finishing up the sermon, I went to get a donut. And, of course, there were donuts missing. Somebody was deceiving. Then I went after the service, and my wife made it very clear Mike, it was me. <laughs> I said, Well, my kids didn't lie this time, but they normally do. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. Why is it? Well, because this is our hearts, right? Our hearts are normally deceptive. We're born with deceptive hearts. Our old nature is to lie, to deceive, and to do whatever it takes to get ahead. But thankfully, Jesus came into the world, and even as a child, he never lied once. He lived a perfect life of righteousness and holiness and truth. Can you imagine? We've all joked about this and thought about this. His poor half-brothers, James. Can you imagine living with Jesus? They lied. They had that lying nature. Jesus did it. I didn't, Mom. You know I tell the truth. Right? He's always telling the truth. Jesus is truth incarnate. And as we're renewed in our minds, the one who died in our place, we are reminded to follow our Savior. The one who always tells the truth. So instead, we put on speaking the truth. Each one of us to our neighbors. This means we say what the Scripture says. We graciously even confront deception. We exhort those who to turn to the truth. Right now, deception means uh, we putting off deception means that we are we're no longer fake. Do You understand that this is the world we live in. Everybody's putting on a face. Everybody's trying to deceive you into thinking they're a good person. Right? But we who are believers, we just are honest. We're truth tellers, right? Who am I? I'm a sinner who is also a saint that God redeemed me, but I still have this old man that I'm dying, constantly putting to death this old man. So I'm a sinner saint. Whereas everybody else in the world says, well, I'm a good person. I'm okay. What is that right there? It's a lie, that's deception. That's what the heart does. It constantly deceives. To say you're a good person is to lie, because you're not. But again, why do they do it? Self-promotion, self-preservation. Because if I'm talking to a Christian, and I tell them that I'm not a good person, they're going to say what? Oh, well, you deserve hell. I don't want to hear that, because I think I'm a pretty good person. That's what the world says. But we don't do that. We see this in the business world, too, don't we? You know, I was in sales, and I get it. In sales, the way it is is that people often think that they have to oversell products. Do you know what I mean by overselling? Overselling is selling something and making it be and do something that it really doesn't do. Because you've got to sell them. You've got This is the most important thing in your life. You need this vacuum cleaner. Well, do they? Do they really need it? Do they need to go1,500 dollars in debt and be up in debt up to their eyeballs when they already have all this debt? It's only 32 dollars a month. Is that being truthful? Or is that being deceptive? Interesting. Do they really need it, or do I really need the sale so I can pay my bills? It's possible that often the world is all about making more of what it is than it really is, right? And as a church and ministry, we can never fall into that. And as a Christian, you can never fall into that. Don't make it about you, because if you are, you're lying. It's about Jesus, not us. The same is true of a church. If I'm about fulfilling your fleshly desires and I'm trying to give you all these things that are a bait and switch to somehow get the gospel to you, what am I really doing? I'm deceiving you. I'm deceiving you. If we make it a church to make you feel comfortable so you'll come and then I'll turn it around and say you're a sinner, you need to repent... That's deception. Beloved, we speak the truth. Even if that means we what? Lose people. Because you shouldn't be here to be deceived by. You don't want me to deceive you. You want me to speak the truth to you. And so what are we going to do? We're going to speak the truth in love. And it's going to hurt. As I said yesterday and I said it this morning... You don't need steel-toed boots. You need a full body armor today. Because it's really going to hurt. I promise. But at the same time, the hurt is for good. To speak the truth is to cause you to say, I can't, Jesus can, I need him. And you should go out of every message that I preach saying that. I can't, he can, he did, I need him. That is putting off the old man, being renewed in the mind. And putting on the new man. Does that make sense? Beloved, this applies to each of us. We must put off falsehood. We must be renewed in our understanding of the gospel. And we must put on the new man. Speaking the truth. Right understanding of each other is crucial for speaking the truth to each other. If we see one another as instruments to promote ourselves. You know, I hear this. I've heard this before. You know why the churches, the big churches, the mega churches do well? It's because business people go there to get contacts. They go there to get contacts. Now, do you understand what that is? That's called deception. Really? That's deception. Yeah, if you're going to church to promote yourself yourself. You're going for the very opposite reason that you're supposed to be going to church. You're supposed to be going to church to serve and to worship God and to say no to yourself. If you're going to a church to get something to promote yourself in this world, you're actually deceiving. You're looking for everybody as a client. That's wicked. Beloved. We must go to church to know God and to make him known. To serve Christ and to serve others. Often it's much harder to speak the truth than to tell a lie, isn't it? Much harder. Speaking the truth says things that people don't want to hear. <laughs> telling a lie is often telling them what they want to hear. But beloved, we must put off deception and put on Speaking the truth. But if we fake it, then we are really unholy followers of Christ. We must promote the truth. Second, notice, we must pursue reconciliation. Verse 26 and 27, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Summarize this is put off unrighteous anger. Put on pursuing reconciliation. Now, at first glance, just like the last passage, we might this might appear to be a justification for righteous anger. It might be a justification for righteous anger. matter of fact, I've often had people bring up this verse to me when they are talking about their anger, their own anger issues. They will say, you know, the Bible does say that I'm supposed to be angry yet not sin. So, it is perfectly okay for me to be angry. What are we doing with the verse? Well, in fact, the verse is not meant to be a justification for anger. The be angry is almost an assumed. You know, obviously, living in this world, you're going to get angry. It's an obvious. But that's not really the focus. Remember, it's a put off, be renewed, put on. So, put off, be angry? Wait, that doesn't make sense. Put off, be angry. That did not make any sense. That would be a put on, wouldn't it? But if you look closely, the verse is telling you it's about being angry yet not sinning and do not let the sun go on down on your anger. The idea is really don't have anger root in your heart to create bitterness so you can't reconcile with your brothers. That's the whole point of the verse. It's not a justification for anger. Now yes should we get angry at sin in the world? Absolutely. But that's a given isn't it? Isn't that a given? To be angry at sin? But the point behind this verse is is don't let that anger though it may start right fester in your heart and create bitterness towards a brother or sister. That's the point. Put off Bitterness. Anger in your heart that causes you to separate. That's the point. Beloved, have you gotten angry lately? I I don't know about you. But seeing this world is very grieving. It's exasperating at times. And it can create anger, can't it? The way this world is, it... It's obvious to be angry. But we must not let that anger turn into sin. It should anger us to see Jesus' name mocked. Does it anger us? Yeah. It should anger us when Christians act like pagans. That should anger us. It should anger us when fellow believers complain and are not grateful to God for what he's done for them. It should anger us when false teaching is being promoted in churches it should anger us when believers show a complete disregard for the church and the truth that should anger us but this anger should always be checked with a personal evaluation of our own hearts anger is often an expression of emotion isn't it now I want you to think about this at the height of your emotions at the height of your emotions are you more susceptible or less susceptible to sin Much more. And when is one of the most... When is your emotions the most on display? I would argue in grief and in anger. When you are mad, your emotions are most on display. Correct? At that time, you are most susceptible to who? Hint, it's in the verse. The devil. That's when the devil comes along. When you're in your emotions when you're all bent out of shape, when you're angry, that's when he comes. That's when he whispers in your ear. That's when you hear and you get this concept in your mind that says, that's not right that they treated me that way. That's unfair. I'm going to get vengeance. I'll show them what this feels like. That is what? Your anger became what? Sin. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, is what God says, right? It's not my job to bring about vengeance. It's God's job. He's the one that brings about retribution. And by the way, I don't know about you, the more I reflect on my own personal sin, I'm sure thankful there's grace. Because otherwise, man, I'd be in hell right now. And you would be too. We need to be renewed in our thinking. We need to remember Jesus. Remember who we are. We're sinners, just like the people that are sinning against us all the time. The world's sinning against us all the time. But we're sinning against others all the time. It's the way we are. And remember, before salvation, we were worse. Before we knew Christ, we were even worse. Remember who we're angry at, by the way. Remember that they're just like us. There's no reason to be angry at somebody that's just like me. But often our anger is what? It's directed at other people because we think we're better than them. When in fact we're the same as them. So stop. Put off that anger that's from, that creates emotions and sin and the devil uses Instead, we must seek to reconcile with those who are who we may be offended by. You know what's really cool? Think about Christ. Think about Christ. Think about the reconciliation that happened because of him. Think. What did he do as he was being nailed to the cross by people, by soldiers? What did he do? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As they walked by and mocked him and said, You saved others, but you can't save yourself. Come down off the cross now and prove to us that you're the Son of God. What did he do? He said nothing to them. It appears no words were expressed to them. And instead, he stayed on the cross to pay for sin. What a God. What a Savior this is how we must think be angry yet do not sin put off unrighteous anger be renewed in your mind about who Christ is and put on the new self the question I have has have you ever mocked Christ have you ever acted like a pagan even after becoming a believer Have you ever complained and not been grateful even though you were a Christian? Have you ever spoken untruths as a Christian? Have you ever put yourself over others in the church? So were we as angry at ourselves at those moments as we are at other people? No, we're not. The problem is, it's self-righteousness. At the root of this is self-righteousness. Anger, unrighteous anger, anger is often rooted in self-righteousness. Thinking that we're better than the other person. What do we need to do? Be renewed in our mind. Be renewed what? That we're not any better. We need a Savior. They need a Savior. We all need a Savior. And then we'll be able to put it off. What do you say? Putting that sin off is going to happen. So we promote truth. We pursue reconciliation. Next, we must practice sacrifice. Boy, get ready to get your mind now, blown now. Here we go. You ready? 428. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that... He will have something to share with one who has need. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. In all of these, Paul appears to give an extreme case of what needs to be put off. And then to balance it, he actually balances it with an extreme case of what we should put on. Now, as a believer, the put off part should be a no-brainer. Let's not sin in our anger. Is that a no-brainer? no brainer Let's stop lying. That's a no-brainer, right? Let's stop lying. That's a no-brainer. How about, let's stop stealing? Y'all quit being thieves. Everybody in here says, "Amen, I'm going to thie- I'm going to stop stealing things, right? This is a no-brainer. The other extreme, however, is not something that we put on naturally. This is not something that's going to go with our flesh at all. Okay? So I want to take you down the road and I want you to see it fully. Because ultimately this is put off selfish pursuits. Put off selfish pursuits and put on working for others. This is what we're supposed to think. This is how as believers we're supposed to think. I don't uh, again I don't believe this emphasizes the put off. It's more p- the emphasis is on the put on. Our purpose as Christians, has changed, hasn't it? Do you remember what our purpose has changed? What's our purpose now? To make disciples and glorify God, right? Glorify God by making disciples. Remember we talked about that, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, right? The whole idea is is that we're working to glorify God, build Christ's church, right? That's what our purpose in life is. So our new purpose in life is to do what? Promote others to know Christ. To be satisfied with him. That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's our life, right? So we literally work now to do what? Help others. Everything about our lives as believers in Christ is now not about me. It's about others. This is amazing stuff. Now think about the contrast to the world. The world steals. (laughs) The world is always looking to get something, right? For free. They want to take advantage of somebody else, right? They think other people owe them, right? So the world's all focused on who promoting myself. But as believers, once we've been born again, we know that our new life, our life is about what? Helping others, promoting God, exalting God and helping others. Love the neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself, and love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Right? It's all about God and others. So this verse makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Stop the stealing, thieving. Stop stealing. Put off stealing. Be renewed in your mind, and now work to help others. Let me ask you a question. When you go to work. When you get up tomorrow morning and you go to work, what's on your thoughts? What are the things that kind of you get yourself out of bed? I remember trying to get myself out of bed when I was a kid trying to get me to go off to Burger King. Why am I going to Burger King? I hate this job. When you finished, you'd scratch your face with your fingers, and you could literally see lines on your face from the grease. I mean, working at Burger King really takes a challenge, especially if you're on the grill. Really, mm, not fun. (laughs) So what was my reason for getting out of bed? Why did I do it? One, my dad told me to. If I don't do it, my dad was going to get on to me. You need to go work, son. Go to work. Lazy. Go to work. That was one. The other was, I like the money. I like the money. I was going to work. To get some money so I could buy me something. Me, something. Right? So I worked for who? Me. I wanted to work for my dad to say, good job, you did the job. And he wasn't going to give me a hard time anymore. And I worked to get something for me. But when I met Christ, my life changed. Our lives changed, don't they? We no longer work for ourselves. We work for others. I go to work to Show off Christ to other people. I go, out, go to work to get the paycheck so that I can give to other people. Even us as Christians can sometimes fall into this concept that I'm working to supply for my family. What's wrong with that statement? Nothing's wrong with that statement, Pastor Mike. Don't say that. There's nothing wrong with that statement. I'm going to say it again. Listen closely. I go to work to work for my family. I'll, give, I'll, hint, I'll, I'll make it even more obvious. I go to work for my family. You got the gist? It's about who? You, me, us, ah, me, and us. That's a problem. Because ultimately, if it's about you, it's about self-promotion. And you're also teaching your kids this, if you're not careful. If you're teaching your kids that it's all about you and your family or you're teaching your wife that it's about you and your family, then you've missed the whole point. What are we supposed to be doing? Putting off the old man. It will change the way you do your job. Because as I go off to work, I'm thinking, I'm going off to work to help you. I'm going off to work to serve God. I'm going off to get money so I can give to the ministry for the propagation of the gospel around the world. I heard of a pastor this week that needs help in Haiti. If I could give him $1,000, I'd give it to him right now. This is what we should be doing. We work to give. To propagate the gospel. Beloved, we got to be thinking this way. Now, this is insane love, isn't it? This is out of this world. Are you going to look different? Yes. But this is a mindset change because look at our example. Be renewed in your mind. Here you go. You ready? Be renewed in your mind. Look at it. So that we will have something to share with one who has need. What does this assume? It assumes... That you're recognizing others' needs. That you're living to supply others' needs. Your purpose is others' needs. Not your own needs. Others' needs. Where have we seen that before? Jesus. He had it all. The Trinity perfect glory. What does Jesus say in John 17? Restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world began. He had it all. And he left heaven. Took on a human body. So that he could redeem us and make us what? Co-heirs with him. Stunning. Oh, talk about somebody coming into the world working for the needs of others. What a God. What a Savior. And we know he did that for us. And if he did that for us, that changes the way that we view the world, right? Now, I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that you don't work to pay your bills. Come on. You understand. I'm not saying that. But I, I, that's, like, that's like kindergarten level, if, for lack of a better term. Obviously. If you're lazy and you're not working, go to work. Go to work. Do whatever you can to get a job. Work getting a job to get a job until you get the job. Do it. That's an obvious proverb. obvious. Go, right? Go to the ant, you slugger. Right? That's an obvious. That's, this is kindergarten. Now, I'm saying put on, go to work to serve God and others, to give to them. That's the new covenant relationship with God. It takes the bar and goes what? How? How do I do this? I'm still so sinful. I'm still so selfish. How do I do this? Fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. As I'm trusting in him, as I'm looking to him, I can put to death the old man and put on the new man, and I can go serve him and others. Y'all get it, beloved? I'll move on to the next point if you got it. Everybody got it? All right, let's go on. Fourth, proclaim edification. Proclaim edification. Look at these, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Put simple, put off destructive talk, Put on edifying or building up words. I'm often approached with this question. Some of you in the room might have even asked me this, so please don't take offense, but here we go. I'm often asked this question Is it okay for us to use four letter words now as a believer? Is it okay for us to cuss and curse and use foul language? As a believer. When I hear the question, that's an immediate face-in-palm moment for me. Like, what? Why are you even asking this question? Is this is this really debatable? I know. I know people are actually debating this on. Reformed pub. They're debating whether it's okay to use curse language, foul language. I'm like, what? The question should never be, what can I get away with in my speech? If you're asking that kind of question, you're showing your heart is really about you. It's about how much of my flesh I can entertain. Do you understand how opposite that is? When Paul gives these stop lying, stop stealing, stop using words, those are the no-brainers. Those are the obvious. That's what you died to. Go to the extreme the other way. The question should be this. What is the most edifying thing I can say? At the moment. That's the question we should be asking. A matter of fact, we shouldn't be asking that question every once in a while. We should be asking that question every time we speak. What can come out of my mouth that will build up another person most? Do you see how that kind of eliminates a lot of what we say? Do you see how that kind of makes us a lot more quiet in this world? Can you imagine if everybody on Facebook or Twitter or social media asked that question before they posted? But we live in a world where people think that it is the best thing to speak your mind. What does speak your mind mean? Is a person.